Welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. My name is Bill Parkey, and I'm the senior pastor of Grace Life Pentecostal Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are so glad that you are tuned in today to listen. If this message impacts you in any way, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. Now listen and enjoy today's podcast. It says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, if you have it, say amen. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he trans- was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. There appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I am well, who, whom I loved, and I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So I just want to talk to you guys and, and, and walk through Matthew 16. I think it's we're starting somewhere around verse 13, and, and we're going to try to get to Matthew 17, and we're just going to walk through these scriptures. And, and I want to title this message, this, this lesson, whatever you want to call it, a glimpse of glory. And I, I do f- feel like the Lord really dealt with me about this. So if you would, just let's just buckle in and let's work through these scriptures. If you could put your Bible to a side right there where you're sitting, if we could all lift up our hands and our voices and let's ask the Lord to be here. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence. We don't take this moment for granted, God. We thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to look through your word, God, to digest the scriptures, Lord, to partake of your glory, God, to partake of your presence. Lord, I pray that you would gather everyone's attention to you. I pray that you would gather everyone's attention that's in this place, whether they're a saint or whether they're a guest and this is the first time coming. I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten them and give them understanding to see what the scriptures say. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us from place to place, that you would guide us through prayer and through your word, that we may get to the place where you want us to get to, God, that we may see the things you want us to see and that we may hear the things that you want us to hear in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Feels good in the house. It really does. So I want to start off in, in Matthew chapter 16. It really is a, a known uh, scripture that many of us have, have worked through. We've read before. And in Matthew 16, 13, this is the starting point. And we're going to work our way up to where we just read. And it says, I, I, it, it says a very common thing that we've read in church and so, on Sunday mornings. Jesus comes up to his disciples. And, and it says in verse 13, he asks his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
and I'm just going to read through a little bit. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said unto him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. So here is is Jesus. Jesus is, is technically their teacher. He's their pastor. He's their master. And And Jesus has an intent behind everything that he does. His intention is to make disciples. He's he's wanting to make mature believers that will follow him, follow his word, and follow the leading of the Spirit. So he has this conversation with the disciples, but he's not simply having a conversation. He needs his disciples to learn the voice of God. I want you to really just... just, just, uh, Put yourself in this uh, situation, this scene. He needs to know if they're learning the revelations that he's trying to give to them. They need to learn how to operate and trust that the spirit of truth will guide them into all truth. And how are they supposed to learn these things if not through trial and error? So he sets up the test in the form of a question. Jesus asked the question knowing 100% that this answer will not come by flesh and blood. He knows that the correct answer is not going to come by what people are saying. He knows that this answer will only be revealed by their Father who is in heaven. So he asks them the question, and he starts with men. Who do men say that I am? All the 12 disciples are there. They start giving their responses. Some say out there that that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Others that you are Jeremiah. And then he, he, he turns it because he's trying to fish something out of them. He's trying to bring them to a place. He's making disciples. He needs to know, are they picking up what I'm putting down? So he gears the question towards them. Now, who do you say that I am? I, 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 Jesus was there as a pastor, as a teacher, as a master. He's saying, I want to know what's been burning in your heart. What impression have you felt about me? What has that still small voice spoken to you? What has God been dealing with you about in regards to me? And here goes Peter. And he says what's resonating inside of him. No one's standing up. But Peter pops up and says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And boom, it's, it's, it's officially said, Jesus turns to him and begins to say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. So here's a news flash. Jesus wasn't asking this question because he was feeling insecure about himself. He didn't ask this question because he forgot who he was and he forgot what his purpose was. He wasn't suffering with memory loss. He knew who he was, but he was interested in knowing, are you picking up what the Father is speaking? Are you tuning in to what God is saying in the midst of all the voices that are around you? He wants to know, are you listening? 
And of course, men said honorable things about it. The men were saying, he's John the Baptist. He's Elijah. He's Jared. Those are honorable things about it. They knew of the old prophets. And Jesus reminded them of something that was familiar to them. He walked in an anointing that they heard from their fathers and their grandfathers when they spoke of the prophets. And the closest they could get to was that he's one of the prophets of old. But Jesus wanted to fine-tune it a little more. That's honorable. That's a high compliment that you would think, I'm John the Baptist or Elijah, but I want to know something more. I want to know if you're tuning in to what God is saying. And we see that the fact that Jesus took the moment to check where Peter was in tune with this revelation tells us that it is a fundamental part of our growth in God, and it is a fundamental fundamental part of this revelation in regards to the church are you receiving what the father is sending that's what jesus wants to know so here's this conversation and i think it's a little funny but it's jesus not only checks but he also affirms the response he didn't leave peter in the dark peter didn't just say you're the son of the living god And Peter and Jesus, he he didn't just stay quiet about it, but he affirmed it. He said, yes, Peter, that's it. You've got the revelation. And he begins to say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in time. So all of a sudden, Peter is at center stage of this revelation. Could you imagine being in the shoes of Peter where Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And you've got this impression in your heart to say he is the son of the living God. This is the deity of God manifested in flesh. Could you imagine how crazy it would be to say that? That's how cults start. (laughs) Where, Where people start viewing their leaders literally as God. And here was Peter who had this revelation. And he was about to step out. All the 12 probably thought it. But Peter's the one that stepped out. The moment he does, Jesus points him out. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. Could you imagine that? I got it right. He has Peter at the edge of his seat. Come on, prophet, speak. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Just blessings on blessings on blessings. It's like Marcus Robinson. Could you imagine? It's like the Lord just comes up to Marcus Robinson. You thought Samuel was a bad man. We're not one word fell from the ground that he spoke. Just wait till I do it. Your thought. Could you imagine that? I'll give you complete ownership of the Kansas City Chiefs. blessings on blessings oh come on come on just give it to me I I don't I don't know about you I've never experienced that personally Um, but I can imagine Peter being on the edge of his seat come on prophet give it to me (laughs) give it to me I got the revelation I spoke up there is affirmation I don't know about you but I'd walk out of that out of that meeting with my chest a little higher, <laughs> walking out straight. That's right, boys. <laughs> I'm that man. I am that guy. I just got it right. None of y'all said anything. I said it. And guess who's got the keys? I got the keys. 
I'd walk out just with a little, little jump in my step. But we see that this conversation began to take a turn after the blessings on blessings and blessings came. Jesus tells them, in regards to this revelation, I want you to keep it a secret. I don't want you to tell anyone about it. And then in Matthew 16, 21, there's no break in it. We're jumping right through it. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then we see, then Peter took him aside. Took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far it be from you, Lord, this shall not happen. Could you put yourself in his shoes? <laughs> Peter pulled his pastor aside, <laughs> pulled his leader aside, <laughs> and said, You're off on this one, pal. You are, he, he, he had the, the courtesy at least to get a little wait. He waited till he was done with his message. And he said, pastor, I, 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 I got, I got a bone to pick with you. And he begins to rebuke him. And is, is that not so like all of us <laughs> where it's, you know, you, you, you're, you're in the service and, and you get that, that you, you experience that revelation. You experience that that tongues and interpretation, you experience that word, you get that, those dreams and visions, and you get the affirmation and the witness this was of God, and all of a sudden, you become the judge of all things. <laughs> you become the judge of what the will of God is. Oh, I, I got the first one right. Now Jesus is talking about suffering. He's talking about dying on a cross. Jesus, you're off about this one. And Jesus turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Peter, he tells him, I'm about to take you to school because there's some things that have gone unchecked. You got the first revelation, Peter, and that's great, but you're off on this one. And he, he corrects him, in, and it's the Lord that's correcting him. In. He tells him, you're, you're out of alignment in regards to this one. You're actually speaking in complete opposition to the will of God. And if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to me. Peter, if you can accidentally pick up on things that can feel so right, but be completely wrong, then what makes me think it won't happen to me? It's possible. So Jesus calls him out on it. You're not mindful of the things of man. but the thing, You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter begins to represent the things of man. He's not representing the things of God anymore. Peter, therefore, is no longer acting like a foundation block of the church, but he starts acting like a stumbling block of the church. 
and of what the will of God is. And what happened here, what triggered Peter's knee-jerk reaction to rebuke Jesus when he started talking about the cross, it was colliding value systems that happened. Peter had a value system that was built upon the things of man, while Jesus had a value system that was built upon the will of God. While Peter got the revelation, his value system had not been transformed. So, what exposed and what revealed and what broke his value system was the weight of the suffering that Jesus would endure. It was the weight of the cross that was before him that fractured Peter's value system. You see, it's easy to be all in when things are going well. The stock market is a prime example of this. It's easy when the economy is on the rise and there's a bull market. Everyone is all in. I don't know if I'm the only one. But I tried my luck in day trading once. Is there anyone here that would dare lift their hands? (laughs) I tried my luck in day trading once about four or five years ago. Because I came across this stock called Ethereum. And I was, this is it. This this is what's going to, this is what's going to, you know, I'm I'm talking about millions. This is it. And I studied Ethereum for about five minutes on a post in Google. You know how it is. I was like, this is it. <laughs> I don't need to read anymore. This, they got me. They got me. So I, I tried my luck and with absolute confidence, I, I said, this is a good investment. And I was all in. And, and those that didn't lift up your hands, y'all are laughing. And I know you probably, you, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so I put a little money in, in Ethereum. And I was all in until the day after when the stock absolutely tanked and the bottom fell out. And I found out that I had paper hands. And I was like, good Lord, I'm in the absolute negative. And I pulled out and lost absolutely everything. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't much, but I don't like losing. (laughs) And I don't know if anyone can testify here about, you know, trying to do that. But man, I had paper hands, paper feet, paper everything. I collapsed. I folded so quick. It wasn't, I didn't even let it come back up. I pulled out and that thing just came right back up. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it is. But spiritually speaking, we can develop paper hands. We're all in it when there's blessings. But when we talk about the cross, we pull out. Peter's all in it. Give me blessings on blessings. But once Jesus started talking about suffering, it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. It's necessary for me to die on the... Once he started talking about that, Peter said, this isn't so. Peter pulled out. And I'm talking about real things. When sickness touches our families. I'm talking about real things. When death waits at the door, when our loved ones are going through trials, we can't seem to explain. 
When we're sitting at the dinner table and there's no food for everyone in the family. When our elderly are fighting with dementia. When marriages are feels like they're hanging on by a thread. When your children refuse to live for God. I'm talking about those kinds of things. It can, it's easy to be all in when the direction is going up the mountain. But when the valley's unfamiliar. I don't know. I don't know. That's when I'm tempted to pull out. That's when I'm tempted to question absolutely everything. But Jesus' words were absolutely necessary. And Peter needed to hear it. From this point, Peter and his disciples, they had seen miracles, signs, wonders, healings, Deliverance, prophecies, forgiveness, revelation, and authority. So their frame of mind was built upon this. Jesus equals authority. Jesus equals healing. Jesus equals revelation. Jesus equals deliverance. Jesus equals forgiveness. Jesus equals blessings. But Jesus... After he said the big blessing, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, he, he, he abruptly changes the tone of everything. And he says from that point on, he began to introduce something into the equation that none of them considered. And the fact that what he introduced was the cross. They didn't consider that in the equation. They never thought. That suffering would be necessary. They never thought that loneliness and disappointment and grief and abandonment would all be part of the equation. And what Jesus was trying to adjust their frame of mind was that it is Jesus plus the cross that equals authority. It is Jesus plus the cross that equals miracles. It is Jesus plus the cross that equals deliverance. It is Jesus plus the cross that equals blessings. It is Jesus plus the cross that equals salvation. It is Jesus plus the cross that equals comfort. It is Jesus plus the cross that equals glory. Without the cross, you can't experience any of those things. You can't, you can't experience any of it. So he turns and he says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So he introduces something no one considered. He introduced the cross. And the cross embodies two things. It represents two things. The cross represents salvation from our sins. It represents forgiveness. And you know what else the cross represents? Suffering. It represents suffering. 
And that's a part of the equation that we so often miss. We so often miss until it touches our home. Until it touches our health. Here's the thing. There are two promises tied to the cross. It is forgiveness of our sins. And it is comfort in the midst of our sufferings. Scripture says that. Scripture teaches that. In John 14, verse 15, I'm going to read it in the New King James and then King James. If you love me and keep my commandments, I, and I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper. And he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, the King James, it says, and I will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever which is his spirit. That's the good news. That his spirit will comfort us in the midst of our sufferings. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be re revealed unto us. Here's the thing. Without, without the cross... We would have no ability to find comfort in Jesus. Without the cross, we would have no ability to find forgiveness in Jesus. Oftentimes, we can get it all confused and get the wires mixed up. We think that the gospel is comfort in our sins and deliverance from our sufferings. But he never promised that. What he promised is, I will cleanse you. I will forgive you of our sins. And I will comfort you in your sufferings. I know it's not exciting. But how many here have experienced some things that you just can't explain? Can't make sense of it. Don't know why you lost that loved one. Don't know why that sickness touched your body. Don't know why that person walked out on your life can't explain these things here's the thing the beauty of the gospel god knows that you're going to go through some things and he didn't want to leave you as orphans here in this world but he sent his spirit as a comforter because he's not always going to pull you out of it he's not always going to heal he's not always going to resurrect he's not always going to do that but what he will do is he will comfort you he will comfort you and i don't know if there's someone in this house that has gone through some junk but they could testify that the comforter is living today despite the loss despite what happened despite my family falling apart i can still testify that god is with me in matthew 17 he transitions after six days jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. The scene changes. Within a week, he talks to them about the revelation. He talks to them about the cross and the sufferings that he must go through. He talks to them about their requirement to pick up their 
their cross and follow him. And then he transitions within that week and he tells them, I want you to come up to a mountain with me and I want you to walk up because something's going to happen up there. Jesus is transfigured before them. He transforms before them in all his glory. He begins to change his resemblance and he begins to shine on that mountain. And here are three disciples witnessing this glory. They fall down on their face, not sure what to do, but they're experiencing the glory of God. Peter said to Jesus, verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put, put up three shelters. <coughs> one for you, one for Moses, <coughs> and one for Elijah. Peter interrupts this moment with a comment that betrays his confusion. He's not sure what's going on. He, he's not getting that revelation. But he's reminded of this glory that was manifested in times of old. And his knee-jerk reaction here is, is why, why don't we put up three tabernacles so we can stay here a little longer? And Matthew 5, 17, 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God interrupts Peter in the middle of what he was saying at this point. Peter wasn't making any sense. He said, let's put up three tabernacles because he saw the glory. And this voice coming from heaven just starts speaking. And basically says, I need you to follow him no matter where he goes. Because here's the thing, they just got the shocking news that Jesus was going to die on the cross. And now Jesus wanted to share something that would keep their faith when things start getting dark. He wanted to share something with them that would keep them aligned with Him when everything gets turbulent. So... We see the disciples heard this. They fell down on their face to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came, touched them. Get up. He said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The motive of silence, and we see this through the, through the Gospels, where every time Jesus manifests His glory, He heals someone, He delivers someone, He's always commanding to the people to be silent. But here we finally see an end to it. He says, when I raise from the dead, you'll better understand these things. But just for some time, I need you to be silent about it. So here they are. They get a glimpse of glory revealed by his transfiguration. And like other glimpses given by his miracles, we see that he doesn't want anything to hinder his death. Because the reality was they didn't see all of it, but behind his death, there would be a resurrection. And behind the resurrection, there would be an ascension. And behind the ascension, there would be an outpouring. And behind the outpouring, there would be a return. And he tells them, you'll understand this as time progresses. And the word of God, it fascinates me. It really does. 
we see that John begins to put the pieces together in his, in his gospel. And it's as if he's giving his own answer to the question that Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am when he writes in John chapter 1 verse 1. We see it says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then in verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him not anything was made. He's given the answer, who do you say that I am? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 13, it says, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And it says, and the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. John was brought to remembrance the glory that he saw on that mountain. He said, I, I beheld his glory. And when I beheld his glory, I understood who he was. When I beheld him in his glory, it made sense. All things were made by him. And not anything was made. It was when he saw him in his glory that he saw in him is the life of men. And that light shined in darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. It was when he saw the glory. He understood. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Peter better understood the transfiguration after Jesus rose from dead and ascended to heaven. He wrote about it in 2 Peter 1.16, and he presents this argument defending the return of Jesus Christ. He presents two arguments. He's, he's trying to tell them that I was an eyewitness of the transfiguration on that holy mountain. And he tries to present that all of these men that wrote about these prophecies, they were inspired by God and not a man. And he's simply trying to present a case that the promises that God has spoken, he will fulfill. He's not going to leave us. Why? And he's just trying to tell everyone that the promise of his return is true. It's true. And it, to me, it just fascinates me. Because he promised salvation. We didn't anticipate that it would come in the form of a child. But the promise came to pass. He promised the resurrection. We didn't anticipate it would come in the form of the cross. But it came to pass. He promised power to be witnesses. And we didn't anticipate it would involve his spirit abiding in us. But it came to pass. And he's promised that he will return. He will return for his church. He's not going to leave us in the dark. He wants to return. We see in Matthew 17, jumping back over there. One, this command to silence went forth. They didn't interpret this silence as an absence for his glory. They knew firsthand that silence and glory can coexist. And this is necessary to understand because there will be seasons in our lives where we'll feel like God is being silent. 
But the reality is, is that he can be near and his glory can still move. We need to understand this because there are times where we're going to try to reach out for God and it seems like our prayers are just hitting this brass heaven and nothing's going through. But we have to understand that silence and glory can coexist. Here's the thing with with the world and all the social media and the news outlets that are going out. They're at the forefront. They're being the loudest. They're shining all of their glory, their carnal glory and iniquity. But the reality is, my friend, is that the church church the church has the glory the church doesn't need to be the loudest we don't always have to be at the forefront but as long as we're here the glory could still move do you understand that there is a spirit of iniquity that works in this world but something restrains that spirit of iniquity And what restrains the spirit of iniquity is the church. There will come a time where the church will be raptured. And this spirit of iniquity will just move in and do everything it wants to do. But until that day, my friend, as long as there is a church that is receiving what the Father is saying, that is in tune with the will of God, it will keep this spirit of iniquity at bay. You can take away the microphones. You can take away the speakers. You can take away the nice lights. I like all of that. You can take away the awesome coffee shop. You can take it all away. And the, and the church could get quiet. But just because we're silent doesn't mean the glory's not moving. We've got a blessing. We're in the United States of America. And we can be loud about our glory. But there's other nations in the world where they gather underground. And just because they're commanded to be silent, it doesn't mean glory's not moving. It doesn't mean God's not moving and healing people. It doesn't mean God's not moving and, and doing miracles amongst their, their presence and the congregation. It doesn't mean that God's not filling people with the Holy Ghost. We may not hear about it, but silence and glory can coexist. And I'm grateful that we can be loud about it. I'm grateful that we can sing about it. I'm grateful that we can preach about it. I'm grateful for all of those things. But you know what I'm more obsessed with than all of that? It's His glory. I want His glory. There's nothing else that I want in my life. It's interesting because in the story, it seems like... (laughs) God is always one step ahead of his people. He asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? They start pointing at at the prophets, saying, what what you're doing is familiar, but it's some of the prophets of old that they're pointing at. They they use what they're familiar with. They they put Jesus within the the, the parameters of what they knew, 
and tried to define him with what they knew. But Jesus was trying to get them to understand that there's a greater revelation that God can give you. And then we see with this manifestation of glory, Jesus goes up the mountain. And the first thing Peter says, when he sees the glory with his eyes, when he hears the glory with his ears, he's there in the middle of all this glory. The first thing he says, why don't we put up three tabernacles? This is familiar to me. I've heard it of stories of old. I've seen it done. It one of my parents would tell me about it. Whenever the glory would, would fall, we'd set up tabernacles. We'd follow the cloud of glory. And they try to put Jesus in the parameter of what they knew and what was familiar to them. But Jesus wasn't trying to do this for Elijah and Moses who were there. Jesus wasn't trying to reveal his glory for them to look back and there's a time and a place for that. For them to look back and try to do things the way they've always done it. Jesus wasn't revealing his glory just to reveal it to them. He was revealing his glory, not for the prophets of old, and that's good and well, and that served them well, but he was wanting to reveal his glory for James, Peter, and John. They, not the prophets of old, they need to experience my glory. And here's the thing. We too need to understand When God is moving amongst us, it's for you. All saints, hear me. It's not just for the guests. It's not just for your friends that are coming. He's moving for you. He needs you to see some things. He needs you to hear some things. He's trying to speak some things into your life and you're so busy just just trying to make sure everyone gets in and he's trying to pull you in. He's trying to get you to step into the glory because he knows there's some things coming down your road. Some things you're probably not going to understand. Some things that are going to make you suffer and just make you want to question and doubt everything. But he knows if you can get a glimpse of my glory, When things get turbulent, when I'm up on that cross, you'll be steady in your faith. God, I know you. I know what you said. I know what you showed me. I know the word that came to me. Because life gets turbulent. He does it for you. It's not for anyone else. He does it for you. The Lord's good. The Lord's good to us. He is. Even when it doesn't seem like things are working out, the Lord is still good. You know, a lot of, a lot of people tap out at the cross. They, they can't do it anymore. Why would God, who loves me, allow this to happen to me? Why would God who loves me, take me through this trial. I've been faithful all my life and now I'm diagnosed with this sickness. I don't understand. I've been doing so good. God delivered me from X, Y, and Z. And now I'm dealing with this, with, with this issue in my life. And I can't explain it. 
You're looking within your family. I've been faithful all my life. I've served you, God, faithfully. What's happening with my children? I can't explain it. I can't explain absolutely everything that happens in everyone's life that is here in this room. But I do understand one thing. God can carry you through. God can carry you through. If you rely on His Spirit, He'll carry you through hard times. If you rely on His Spirit, He'll make you who He wants you to be through hard times. If you rely on His Spirit, you'll come out a better man and woman than when you came in. But let me tell you, trying to do it without His Spirit, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Trying to work through this life. My friend, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. Trying to do it without God is a disaster waiting to happen. You want to see your life spiral out of control? Just wait for it to get turbulent and make sure God is not on that plane. You'll find out real quick how quickly things can plummet downward. But if you've got God on that plane, plane my friend it doesn't matter how turbulent it gets it doesn't matter how dark the storm can be God can pull you through you know he's always one step ahead of us and he wants to take us somewhere as a church when he reveals his glory he wants to take us somewhere. And I want us, want us to stand. And we're going to pray for a little bit. And as we pray, I, I, want, I want you to think, and I know this is great. This is the first week back. Power's not out. That's awesome. How many are glad for that? But I want to know if we could come up to this altar if you feel led to. And I want to, it'll be an appeal to all. But I want us to seek his glory. Not for anything else, but for me. Because there's some things that God wants to speak to you. There's some things that God wants to show you. There's, I'm sure there's all kinds of things happening in this, this sanctuary in your life. I'm sure there's marriages here that you've been trying to fake it. You haven't realized God's been trying to speak life into it. I'm sure there's people here who are questioning and doubting in their faith. And God wants to reveal and give you a glimpse of his glory to keep you going. It's to keep you going. Because the thing is, he's, he's not, he's not going to pull us out of every trial. He's not going to pull us out of every trouble and solve everything that, that we're dealing with. But His promise is that He will come for us through it. If you've come to this altar, I want you to have the mindset that I want it for me. This is for me. It's, it's not for the person standing next to me. It's not for the person that's to my left or behind me. 
I've come to this altar because I need God. I need him in my life. I need him to speak to me. I need his voice to speak life into my situation. If you've come to this altar, I want you to just focus your mind on the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, for those of you that start digging a little bit in this, and I prayed because we don't, we don't need many to start tapping into his glory for things to start breaking in this sanctuary. And I, I pray that we would make this whole house a house of prayer. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. When you begin to pull out that shovel in the spirit, when you start digging for it, God, I want your glory. This is what's going to happen just like Peter, James, and John. When they saw the glory... They were reminded of stories of old. And as you start digging, God's going to bring to remembrance. It was in this place when he spoke that word to you. It was in this place where that healing happened. It was in this place where that miracle was loose. I know we've all been recipients of those things. I know I've been a recipient of the word of God. As you start digging it's going to be a familiar place to you you're going to remember God last time I was here you talked to me about this and that last time I was here you gave me absolute clarity last time I was here God you turned my marriage around last time I was here God you healed me of this infirmity When you step into that place, I want you to keep on pressing. Because God's not just wanting to remind you of what he's done. He's trying to speak to you right now. I want every eye closed in this place. And we're just going to make this a house of prayer. I want us just to disconnect any expectations we've had in this moment. I want us to disconnect from anything we're planning to do later on. If you feel like this wasn't for you, you're, you're welcome to make your way home. And I'm grateful you came. And, and we want to have you back. But if there's some people here at this altar, I want to know. I want to know, Lord, if you can pull one into your glory. I want to know if there's two people in this sanctuary that are hungry for your glory. That's it. God needs you to sift through the voices. He needs you to sift through the voices. I want you to know my voice. Eshana rokosha taye, ina rokosha la manesa taye, your rokosha la maneset your rokoshe. Oh, come on, let's keep pressing for a little bit. Let's keep pressing for a little bit. Let's step out of the mundane. Let's step into his glory. Oh, 
Nesana roko shataye Ilabane kyo romo shataye Eshana rekyo shataye Oroko lomo shataye spouse or if your spouse is here I want you to find them I want you to find your husband and your wife and I know it's not everyone in this room but I want you to find your spouse I feel like the Lord wants to do something something unique here and I feel like there's some marriages here that you need the healing of God to touch I'm going to give you some time find your husband find your wife if they're up here on the platform link up and is this if this is as far as we get that's fine I understand there's young families that are starting and I just feel like the Lord wants to bring some healing. Oh, and I can't help but shake that off. Some of you have never stood before the presence of God since you've been married. And I, I feel like the Lord is bidding both spouses to present yourself before the Lord. He wants to heal. He wants to bring wholeness. If you have your spouse, I want you to hold them close. And I want you to pray together. God, I pray that you would restore whatever's been lost. I pray, God, that you would restore, God, anything, God, that's been broken. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would bind us closer together, God. I wonder if everyone in this house could lift up your hands and lift up your voices.
Lord, I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would bring wholeness. I pray, God, that you would restore, Lord, any hearts that aren't tender. I pray that you would make them tender, God. I want us to stay here, just stay here for a little bit. Let forgiveness flow, Lord. Let forgiveness flow, God. We hope this podcast has blessed you in some way. If you would like to connect with us or want more information about Grace Life, visit us online at mygrace.life. Thank you for tuning in and God bless.